from the Evening Standard in London. This is The Leader. Hi, I'm David Marsland. What's causing the gloom over London? Four boroughs in particular seem to stand out in these figures. Lambeth, Hackney, Islington and Camden, which have consistently... Uh, rated as pretty miserable places to live. Our consumer business editor, Jonathan Prynne, on the government stats showing the city's happiness rate is falling. And... You will never get, you know, fed up from looking at the treasure of Tutankhamun. Every tiny detail in the treasure is beautiful and it has a story. Why London still loves Tutankhamun. Taken from the Evening Standard's editorial column, this is The Leader. For the whole thing, pick up the newspaper or head to standard.co.uk slash comment. In a moment, London's getting unhappier and no one seems to know why. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Every year, the Office for National Statistics measures the country's happiness with a survey asking questions like, overall, how happy did you feel yesterday? This year, it's shown the UK as a whole is more content with its lot than last year, but not in London. Here's the standards take. It's almost November. The nights are drawing in. It keeps raining. Brexit's a mess. The economy's stuck. Succession has just finished. The central line is standing room only again. Climate change threatens our future. And renting a room to live in costs a fortune. If all this and more about life in London is getting you down, then you're not alone. A fascinating set of data published today by the Office for National Statistics shows that a lot of people in our city find life hard. A smaller proportion of Londoners say they have a very high level of satisfaction with their lives than any other part of the country. They are also less likely than anywhere else to rate their happiness the day before as high. Well, our consumer business editor, Jonathan Prynne, is here. Jonathan, some of these figures make for some pretty grim reading. Yeah, it's not great for London, I have to say. London, ever since they launched, the government launched this uh, sort of survey of happiness, or the happiness index that was launched by David Cameron in, in originally in 2010, 
London has consistently uh, underperformed uh, and uh, four boroughs in particular seem to stand out in these figures. Um, Lambeth, Hackney, Islington and Camden, which have consistently uh, rated as pretty miserable places to live. Do we know why? We don't really. Um, they've tr- this year, because those four boroughs have so consistently um, performed badly, they've tried to do a little exercise in drilling down into the, into the figures. And they, they looked at Lambeth in particular um, and tried to draw some conclusions. And it turns out, I mean, not that surprise stuff that we probably already know, that Lambeth, for example, has not very good air. Uh, pollution is high. Um, housing is expensive. It has a lot of kids growing up in, in poverty. Crime is quite bad, and I guess these are all factors that would make people grow, living in Camden feel more anxious than someone living in, you know, the Orkney Islands or South Devon or these places that perform very well in the happiness index. Are there any areas of London that are happier? The, the 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 burbs generally are happier than uh, than the inner city. I suppose that makes sense. Green space and and it tallies with the national picture as well. That uh, the, the rural areas, uh, in fact, the more remote you are, the happier you seem to be, which is odd uh, and slightly counterintuitive because people tend to leave those areas and come and live in places like London. But anyway, uh, I guess it's just the stress of day to day life in the big city is making people feel. Uh, very, very, uh, very anxious, or more anxious than than other people. The survey's not all doom and gloom. It shows that across the country we're less anxious than we used to be, with more than 40% saying their anxiety levels are very low. Just 6% of adults say they're often or always lonely. And we're probably healthier too, with our national carbon emissions falling. So there are a few reasons to be cheerful, even as Brexit woes drag on. Next. Tutankhamun's tomb was opened in 1922, ahead of an exhibition at the Saatchi Gallery, while we're still fascinated by what was found inside it. The story of Tutankhamun and his hidden tomb has gripped our imagination since it was discovered in 1922. Now the more than 3,000-year-old artefacts have made their way to London for the first time in decades and are going on display at the Saatchi Gallery. The leader spoke to the exhibition's curator about those wonderful things that have captivated so many. I am Tariq Al-Awadi and I am the curator of Tutankhamun's exhibition. We are very proud that we are doing the last tour of Tutankhamun. I was born in a city uh, two hours drive from Cairo. I went there, I saw these huge, you know, structures and in my mind I had so many questions. You will never get, you know, fed up from looking at the treasure of Tutankhamun. Every tiny detail in the treasure is beautiful and it has a story. One of my favorite objects is a small statue called the Shawapti statue. The word Shawapti means it's supposed to answer the call in the afterlife and 
does the work on behalf of the king. It's a small statue made out of wood and it's beautiful, you know, the face looks like the uh, royal face of Tutankhamun and the head is wearing the so-called the war crown, the Hebrish crown, and uh, the hands are crossed on the body, on the chest, holding the royal scepter. One of the high officials wrote his name and a dedication on the base of this statue. By writing his name, he thought that he will live forever with Tutankhamun. Why? Because the ancient Egyptian believed that to have your name remembered means you live. And this is one of my favorite objects in the uh, exhibition. I already have my name connected with the tour of Tutankhamun, and this is an honor for me. Well, the standards, Nick Curtis, has been writing about Tutankhamun's treasures for an upcoming feature in the paper. Look out for that. He's out of the office researching it just now, but can join us. Nick, why does London still have this fascination for an ancient pharaoh? Well, uh, the first wave of Egyptomania began at the around the sort of Napoleonic era when uh, treasures from Egypt started arriving, not only in London but in Paris and in New York as well. That was the first wave of Egyptomania. But what really kicked it off was the discovery of Tutankhamun's tomb in 1922, which was really the first media archaeological event. Uh, that's what I was told by a chap from the British Museum who I was chatting to about this current exhibition. Um, it was sponsored by the Times. It was uh, there were daily updates on it, so people were were really just genuinely fascinated to see what would happen with this this tomb. And it was, unlike most other tombs, largely undisturbed. So it just had this wealth of material inside it. And of course, there's the, that lure of the, of the, uh, the superstition, the, the, the curse of, of Tutankhamun, isn't it? Where did that come from? Um, there's some literature on on curse on tomb curses from the 19th century. Uh, one story written by Louisa May Alcott, who went on to write Little Women. Um, but the idea of Tutankhamun's curse came about was largely created by the Daily Mail in response to the death of Lord Carnarvon from an infected insect bite. Um, sundry other people connected with the dig did die within a matter of weeks, months and years of it, but um, lots of them, including Howard Carter, who actually opened it, lived on to a ripe old age. Isn't it a little bit morbid, though, going to an exhibition that's about death? Yes, uh, one of the uh, things that uh, the people I've been talking to about this have said we rather unfairly um, harp on the Egyptian obsession with death. Yes, they did have these interesting and to us very strange funeral practices, but they were also a society that really celebrated life and uh, and love and eating and drinking and things like that. So uh, it was a very, very vibrant um, civilization that lasted for at least 4,000 years, so twice as long as uh, what we tend to call modern Western civilization, And you've talked about how Tutankhamun has been a blockbuster event since his tomb was uncovered. Do you think modern audiences will have the same reaction when they see these exhibits? Because back in the 70s when it was here before and obviously when it was discovered, this would have been all new, a whole different type of culture that people wouldn't have much familiarity with. That's true. Again, the people I've been speaking to for the article I'm writing have 
been saying have been suggesting to me that even though uh, the world has changed since London first saw Tutankhamun's treasure in 1972, and uh, we obviously can see much more online now, and uh, have become used to blasé really and used to the idea of blockbuster exhibitions, this one still keeps drawing in um, the crowds. It, the, it it's come to London from Paris, where it um, attracted 1.4 million visitors, which is the largest crowd ever drawn to any exhibition in Paris. I think the the fascination endures with with Tutankhamun and with with ancient Egypt. The exhibition opens at the Saatchi Gallery in London on November the 2nd. And that's the leader. Please rate and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're in the mood for more great stories, check out Woman Tech Charge from the Evening Standard, where you'll find former F1 driver Susie Wolfe talking about her astonishing career. We're back at four tomorrow. the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTER Exclusions apply. See site for details. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. This is Roundabout Season 2, and we're back to share more stories from the road and the memories made along the way. We're talking rest stops. If we're stopping to get gas... You will be timed. (laughs) (laughs) You will be right. (laughs) Misguided plans. I grew up in the city, so I have like, you know, a healthy fear of real extreme darkness. (laughs) This was like wilderness. A lot of laughs. Y'all weird, but you, yeah, you, you were different. Like you were real different, bro. I can't really put my finger on it. And so much more. Just goes to show that unexpected things sometimes are the best when it comes to a road trip. Roundabout Season 2, presented by Nissan, is live now with new episodes rolling out every Thursday. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com.